to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, good morning and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's so good to be in worship with you this morning. We'll remind you if you didn't hear at the beginning of the service, next Sunday, November 5th at 5 p.m. we're having our fifth year anniversary celebration here. We have a worship service. Then we'll go outside. We'll have some food trucks, uh, games. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of stuff that we're going to do. Really look forward to it, celebrating what God has done here, the modern service over the last five years. Today we're continuing our generosity sermon series. This is when we ask people to discern what God is asking them to financially commit to give next year in 2024. This allows the leadership of the church to make plans for the ministry that we are called to do. There's two ways you can make that commitment. You can do it uh, through the pledge card that's on your seat, either on yours or by you. Or you can go to roswellpress.org forward slash give, and you can make your commitment there. We ask you to make two commitments if God so leads you. The first goes to our operating budget. This turns on the lights, pays the staff salaries, makes this all happen. And the second is above and beyond that. That is our mission gift, and that goes all that money goes out the door to our mission partners. We'd usually be about almost a half a million dollars every year. So we thank God for your generosity uh, to make the ministry that we are called to happen. Today we're going to continue the study of the book of Nehemiah. Last Sunday, as she always does, Lindsay gave a great message on Nehemiah 2. And now we're going to go to Nehemiah 3. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're like, no one ever reads Nehemiah 3. We skip over Nehemiah 3. Get on to the good stuff. Not here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. We're going to slog through it. We're going to, we're going to get through it. So Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. <laughs> then the high priest Eliashib set to work with his fellow priests and rebuilt the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set up its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And the men of Jericho built next to him. And next to them, Zachur, son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set up its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs. Next to them... Meshulam, son of Berechiah, son of Meshulasabel, made repairs. And next to them, Zadok, son of Banna, made repairs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious and loving God, a lot of us are sitting here and we're wondering, is there a word somewhere in between these words? Might you speak out of Nehemiah 3? Lord, I pray you might open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for your word. And now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing, our sight, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Teamwork makes the dream work. Growing up, I loved playing basketball. And while you can often shoot baskets by yourself, you play the game as a team. 
And there's one basketball practice I remember quite well. I was a senior on the varsity basketball team playing for the Shadow Park Highlanders. At the end of practice, my coach gathers the team around into a huddle. And he wants to give kind of like a really inspiring pep talk. The coach was preaching teamwork. He wanted us to to pass to the open man, to not take the first shot available. He wanted us to play defense as a team, help each other out. He wanted us to play as a team. Teamwork makes the dream work. Now, while we generally agreed, some of us also understood that we had to Look out for ourselves, too. Some of us knew we were better shooters than the other guys. Some of us were counting on getting college scholarships to pay for college. We wanted to win, yes. But we also had to look out for ourselves. So at the end of his pep talk, he's all fired up. And he says, you need to pass the ball. Find the open man. Play him deep. Play team defense. There's no I in team. There's no I in team. And I'm kind of standing at the back of the huddle, and I hear him say, there's no I in team. And so I say, but there is in win. (laughs) I must have said it louder than I thought. Because then my coach says, well then, Myers, you can run wind sprints by yourself. Get going. (sighs) Remember, teamwork makes the dream work. And Nehemiah is realizing he is going to need a team to make his dream work. Now, Nehemiah is a well-connected guy. He's the cupbearer in the court of the king of Persia, which means he goes and gets the king's wine for the king and his dinner guests. He tastes the wine to make sure it's not poisoned. He's a confidant to the king. And even though Nehemiah is an Israelite, he's a man of power and influence in Persia. And now word has come to Nehemiah that the holy city, his hometown, The wall lays in ruins. It's in rubble. In the ancient world, walls were important in keeping a city safe. Walls prevented midnight marauders, shout out a tribe called Quest, from plundering the city. Walls gave a community a sense of identity, a sense of unity. And Nehemiah now has heard the holy city of Israel, Jerusalem, Its walls laid waste. It's hard for us sometimes to understand the existential effect this would have had at Jews at the time. The closest thing I could come up with it was for those who are old enough, you might remember the benefit that aired on TV after 9-11 happened. Various musicians and artists came on and they performed to raise money an awareness for the victims who had died in the attacks. Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band kicked off the night playing a song, My City in Ruins. 
It's a heart-wrenching song about your hometown being brought to devastation. Whether through is through violence and intentional destruction or apathetic indifference. The song expresses the gut punch you feel when a place you love lies in ruins. It's no surprise the song begins on a religious note. There's a blood-red circle on the cold, dark ground, and the rain is falling down. The church door is thrown open. I can hear the organ song, but the congregation's gone. My city in ruins. This song could have been written for Nehemiah. Nehemiah's city is in ruins. And then Nehemiah hears a call. Nehemiah has a vision. He's being called to rebuild the wall. But there's a problem. Nehemiah can't do it all by himself. He needs help. He needs people to help him build it. He can't do it alone. He needs a team. Teamwork makes the dream work. And so where is Nehemiah's team? Well, he's requested and received resources from the king of Persia. He's asked for time off to travel to Jerusalem. The king of Persia grants it to him. Nehemiah has a vision of what needs to be done and how to do it. The question is, who is going to do the work? Because there's too much work for Nehemiah to do all himself. He needs a team. I love the third chapter of Nehemiah. Because this is like Nehemiah's starting lineup. These are the people who are going to do the work of rebuilding the wall. It may be Nehemiah's name on this book that finds itself in our Bibles. But don't think for a second it was just him doing the work. I'm reminded of a great line from the legendary college basketball coach at UCLA, John Wooden. Wooden coached some of the greatest college basketball players to ever play the game. Won 10 national titles in 12 years. Coach Lou Alcindor, Bill Walton, Gail Goodrich. And with all these stars who once played for him, he observed the main ingredient in stardom is the rest of the team. Nehemiah needs a team. Teamwork makes the dream work. In chapter 3, lists out Nehemiah's team. Listen to a few of his teammates in the work of rebuilding the wall. Verse 6. Joida, son of Passia, and Meshulam, son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and set up its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Next to them, repairs were made by Melatia, the Gibeonite, and Jaden, the Maranthite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, who were under the jurisdiction of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, it goes on like this for 32 verses. (laughs) All these people coming together for the common goal of rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah may be leading, but the people are doing the work. And over these 32 verses, I think I learned a few things that are applicable to us. First, everyone is responsible to build a portion of the wall that's nearby where they live. Where they live. 
Check this out, verse 10. Next to them, Jediah, son of Harumph, made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, son of Hashbinah, made repairs. Verse 23. After them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, son of Masiah, son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his own house. Verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his own house. Verse 30. After him, Hananiah, son of Shalimah, and Hanun, sixth son of Zalot, repaired another section. After him, Melishim, son of Barakiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Nehemiah had the wisdom to assign people to rebuild the parts of the wall that were by where they live. I think he had several good reasons for this. First, it was efficient. The people didn't have to travel very far to get to the job site. It was right there. They lived right there. They built a portion of the wall that was opposite where they lived. Second reason, I think they had some self-interest in doing good work. Do you want a weak part of the wall to be right across from your house? <laughs> Do you want to be in danger of the wall falling on your children? Do you want the easiest place for enemies to break through the wall to be across from your home? No, absolutely not. You want to make sure it's as strong and secure as possible. Just like this, I think about this during RPC's generosity season. I think we can learn from how Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. Giving to RPC is targeted and efficient. It's where we live. What other organization do you know that tries to minister to children and grand adults and everybody in between? We have vacation Bible school and Sunday school for the children. We have wisdom and community groups for the bigger ones, what organization tries to minister to the whole person, to both physical needs and spiritual needs? We have yoga classes and pickup basketball and golf tournaments and fishing trips, and we have prayer groups and Bible studies. What other organization do you know that tries to minister to the people inside of it and cares about the people outside of it? We hope you find a home here at RPC, yes. But even if you don't, we want you to be blessed. We want you to know of God's love. We have mission partners like the Drake House, Children's Development Academy, Habitat for Humanity, Family Promise, North Fulton Community Charities, trying to minister to people, not who are inside the church, but who are outside of it. And we are efficient with our resources, just like Nehemiah, and this is great. But let's be honest. I mean, I, I want you to give out of graciousness and your generosity. But I think it's okay to also give out of self-interest. <laughs> Who wants to worship in here with no air conditioning on in the summer? Who doesn't want to be able to hear because there's no audio system? Who wants to worship in the dark? Who wants the piano and the guitars to be out of tune? Who wants less, less gifted and passionate staff members? Who wants a preacher who's never read Nehemiah, learned from John Wooden, or listened to Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> when you commit to give to RPC, you're not just ministering to others, you're ministering to yourself. Some of you I know, though, 
he might still be saying, even after all those great things, I don't feel like it. I just don't feel like giving. That's okay. Because for Nehemiah, I think there were some people that didn't feel like building either. Listen to verses 13 and 14. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zonah repaired the valley gate, and they rebuilt it and set up its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malkijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set up its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Poor Malkijah. Down through the ages will be remembered for building the dung gate. Of all the gates he could have been assigned to build. The sheep or the, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the fountain gate, the horse gate, the mustard gate, or even the east gate. One of those gates would have been fine. And Malkijah gets stuck with dung work at the dung gate. Friends, I know how some of you feel. I receive your notes. I read your emails. I listen to your voicemails. They don't come very often, but I do get them. And I know sometimes you feel like you got stuck rebuilding the dung gate. Things at church aren't always the way you want them. Not everything is up to your level of standards. Sometimes you have different preferences about communion bread, juice. I get it. I know how you feel. Sometimes you just got to hold your nose and rebuild the dung gate. Remember poor Malkijah at the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set up its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Friends, if we all pitch in and give as God calls us to, there's no telling what God will do through us. I've been serving in congregational ministry for long enough that I've gotten to the point where I can look back 15 or 20 years and I can see the results of efforts that were done so long ago that have come to fruition in ways that I didn't expect that really surprised me. And this past week, someone forwarded me an email that's being used to raise money at one of my previous congregations where I served. And it brought back some memories. When I came out of seminary, graduate school, I was idealistic, like a lot of seminarians. And I was thinking, I, I'm an ideas guy. I'm a big vision guy. Don't want to get into details. Like, don't want to be responsible to throw parties. I don't want to be the church social chair. I don't want to throw events. Muddy my hands in those details. I am a preacher. Now, I've heard it said, you can call yourself a leader, but if you look behind you and there's no one there, you're just out for a walk. <laughs> See, the problem is, it's hard to be a preacher when there's no one there to listen. For a few years, I was out for a walk. 
That is, until I realized I had to start building my dung gate. I was called to get my hands dirty, to throw parties, game nights, pizza making contests, chili cook-offs. Basically, I would do anything it took to get people together. And there were a couple empty nesters, the church, Dan and Debbie, who joined me in that work, and I'd kind of forgotten about it until I read this newsletter. She reminded me that 15 years ago, I asked Dan and Debbie to host a bunko night for young adults. We needed hosts who were hospitable, welcoming. We needed a fun activity that wasn't too religious, so you felt comfortable inviting your non-church friends. And so over the next few years, that's what we did. I didn't really want to do it, but that was my role. With a lot of prayer and a lot of hard work, God used it to bless a lot of people. It was so fun in this newsletter, she writes that those people that came to that bunko night 15 years ago are now much older and leaders of the church. It didn't happen how I wanted or expected it to, but it happened how God wanted to use it. That's how the wall gets built. We're part of a team. We all play our, work, our part in the work of ministry. Teamwork makes the dream work. We can't do everything, but we can do something, and that something makes a huge difference. Ch chapter 3 concludes with these words. And between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. If you noticed, if you were paying careful attention, you'll see that in verse 32, the chapter concludes exactly at the same place where chapter 3 began, at the Sheep Gate. Those 32 verses are a circle around that great city. Sure, Nehemiah was the leader, but each person, from the priest to the men of Jericho, from the perfumer to the sheep herder, to poor Malkijah at the Dung Gate, we all have a role in contributing and giving to ministry that God has called us to. Let us remember, teamwork makes the dream work. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have called us to this great team here at RPC. Lord, I pray we might all find our role, our calling to do the work you've called us to. Not that we have to do everything, but that we can do something to serve. And so, Lord, I pray that you might empower us for service and ministry. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.